Hey there, this is Widow, and this podcast is for adults only. Hi there, and thanks for downloading another episode. Yes, it was, it's was. it been just a few weeks since the last one. Surprise. Uh, some of my favorite guests are either friends of friends, or friends, or people who um, have listened to the show and volunteered to be on. And that's what happened with Papa Tony, who this guy is absolutely amazing you're gonna hear he talks about history he talks about his theories and uh, just being a good person and uh, I think you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it so um, you can find uh, his info on the website massacast.com or you can google Papa Tony that will show up as well so here it is my conversation with Papa Tony hope you enjoy and I want to I want to say first off thank you so much for you volunteered to be on um, uh, on the podcast, and uh, and it's very very few people do that. Uh, I think because they think uh, I don't know for whatever reason they 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 don't you know volunteer themselves. Uh, and this podcast wouldn't be possible if people didn't either if, if either I didn't bother people or people didn't volunteer themselves. So um, <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time. I know we it's been like a, over a month or so in the or longer in the works. So I'm glad we finally got uh, got time to take care of this. Well, I'm glad um, that I'm still alive to tell it, but <laughs> being old, but go ahead. So tell, it's all relative. Tell, tell us, so first off, introduce yourself, tell us about yourself, uh, where are you, and uh, and then we'll get down to the to the nitty gritty details of your personal, uh, your personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Papa Tony. I live in San Diego. I've been there since 75. I went there in 75 from the uh, San Fernando Valley, which was horrifyingly polluted to a nice, fresh, clean San Diego for boot camp in 75. And, and, uh, you, were you, were you in the early stages of the, the leather scene there or when, how did you, ex- yes. ex- and well, you, is this something you always knew about yourself? Well, the way that it showed up and I wrote about this in my memoirs, which are online, uh, the first clue that I was kinky, uh, I came home late and my boyfriend confronted me about coming home late and kept sassing me and kept sassing me and kept sassing me until I finally threw him over my, my uh, lap and spanked him. And we both got hard on. And I went, oh, no, because I'd only come out as a gay man two years earlier. And this was in 1977. And I thought, I have to come out of the closet again. But, <laughs> uh, but the best part for me was finding the leather community. Uh, it was rather accidental. I was in the Navy. I had just shipped over to San Diego for boot camp. I had just finished school. And then I was uh, going on to the ship for the first time, the USS Samuel Gompers. Uh, it was uh, about three-fifths the size of the Enterprise. And there were plenty of uh, gay men on board, as I soon discovered. But uh, one of them came up to me three days after I came on board and said, I want to talk to you. And I had no idea who the hell he was. He said, let's go up topside to talk. So we went up topside, and he says, you're gay, aren't you? And I started sputtering, and he says, it's okay, I am too. And I was astonished, because up to that point, the only gay men that I knew were very, very obvious effeminate men. And so then I tried to fit in with them, and it just didn't work. So I then photocopied some of his Tom of Findlay art books, which you know are very famous for kinky sure. leatherman well then when we went overseas to uh hong kong i had a head-to-toe leather outfit made according to tom of finland's design 
and then uh, started going on and off the ship in full leather. And it was very attractive to a lot of men who wanted to have sex with me because I was dressed in a handsome outfit, but that's all I knew. But that was before the kinky part, but it was a great way of attracting guys. I was wearing leather, but not living leather. Right. And then um, I started getting into the kinky stuff when I got an older boyfriend who was twice my age. And he started teaching me all the kinky stuff. And since he was very popular, knew a lot of people in the kink community, I got to play with them too. And I had many, many hundreds of mentors. It was wonderful. Can we pause one second? I'm very curious about, you know, it's really hard for people. I'm sure it's not hard for you, but um, uh, it's hard for people to remember what it was like back in. Well, I mean, this is even long before. I mean, at the time, don't ask, don't tell was considered, you know, amazing. Oh, good. Now we could just don't ask, don't tell, right? When I say yeah, that, by the centrist, it was considered. Right. right. Um, uh, how, how did, I mean, what was that me, like? Because I mean, it didn't sound like you were being clandestine about it. Not at all. Well, the reason why is remember, I mean, maybe not remember, but back in those days, gay rights were the new civil rights in a very angry and very confrontational way. Pride parades weren't the the, uh, the lovely uh, fiestas that they are now. They were very angry and very confrontational. Right. We we're beaten up by cops. We we're you know all being hassled in all sorts of different ways. Well, the the military relatively recently had gone completely zero tolerance on racial animosity, and then right around that same time is when suddenly openly gay people started showing up, and they didn't know how to deal with this. It all has to do with leadership. And the leadership didn't know what to do about us, so we got away with a lot. In my particular case, I was openly gay the last two and a half years I was in the Navy, and I did not get hassled. I really didn't. I mean, I, in my memoirs, I wrote about two occasions. One, where somebody rolled a lit cigarette against my ass while we were all watching a movie. I picked it up, looked around, stubbed it out, and then went on my way you know, watching the movie. But then the second one, uh, I was an exemplary. Uh, sailor. So everybody, you know, knew they could depend on me because I, I would knew that being openly gay, I had to work two and a half times harder than everybody else. So I did. And then suddenly one of the chiefs in my department brought me a terrible, terrible yearly review. And I said, okay, I know what's going on here. I said, um, you go ahead and you talk to the other guys and you tell them that if this continues, if you're going to try and drum me out of the military by pretending that I'm a bad sailor, I said, Within about a week and a half, your faces are going to be on the cover of every gay newspaper in Southern California. I said, now go tell the others. He came back about 20 minutes later said, never mind. And I got a good review. Right. But that was, that was 100% of it right there. When things changed is when Ronald Reagan came in with his pukes from the uh, family, uh, family Research Council or you know, right. the uh, moral majority. And that's when everything turned horribly toxic. And, but it was after I left. This is what, something that, that happens a lot today is people talk about uh, – you'll hear this a lot from people, oh, we have to be civil, right? Yeah. Civil, civility is the, is the most important thing uh, uh, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to dealing with oppressors of any kind, right? Right, right. Um, and, and I always see that as like, – that's so, completely devoid of any knowledge of history, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, that's not how these things happen. I mean, you can go back, you can read in the New York Times articles about uh, how opinion pages in the New York Times saying how the Jews 
have to be civil towards the Nazis, otherwise they'll just yeah. make it worse, right? Uh, right? But this is true for every type of civil rights struggle, right? right. Is that the people who were who were demanding their rights were considered uncivil, right? Right. Uh, and and the and I, I'm, I'm going way off on and the people who are usually claiming wanting civility are the ones who benefit from it, right? Right. Um. So so anyway, so so again, this is this was a a moment where where I mean, obviously, you were very good at what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, you had a, you had a community and you knew how to, how to leverage that community. And so they, they just didn't want any problems with it. You said when Reagan came in, it got much worse because obviously the, the whole moral majority thing was, uh, just changed the tone, but you said you were already out. When, uh, Clinton was president and don't ask, don't tell became a thing to talk about. The Rand Corporation was hired by the government to do research on the topic. So a whole bunch of former and present gay and military personnel were interviewed, including me. And they issued a report where they said it all has to do with leadership. If the leaders are told that this is how it's going to be, then suddenly everybody's okay with it. That's what they did with uh, you know racism. Mm-hmm. And... But they didn't really implement that. They did the stupid uh, "don't ask, don't tell," which extended the torment for many people for a long time. Right. It, it was. Just, and, and did you know a lot of people who were currently serving uh, at that time? And um, because obviously you were out uh, of the military at that point. But um, no, no, were you, were no. You I, involved in that? No. No. The reason why I didn't know about that is that recall that during that time. During the Clinton years, when they you know when he first came on and they started talking about "Don't ask, don't tell," um, I was very much like many of the men in my generation. I was so traumatized, uh, I no longer had friends because mm-hmm. so I've lost over 140 men before I stopped counting uh, in my life, and these were all my closest and dearest ones. And I just stopped investing in friends because I just couldn't stand the pain of losing them anymore. Oh. But through about, about 12 years of that, so. No, I wasn't connected to anybody during that time. So let's let's go back to you. You said that you you were you were finding mentors in the scene. You were walking off and on the ship uh, in full leather gear. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was that like then? When when you finally found oh, there's the there's a whole kink aspect to it too. Mm-hmm. Well, it was perfect for me because I grew up in a very hostile uh, childhood. Um, uh, lots of females in the family and a father who actively hated me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have male companionship. I didn't have friends, real male friends until seventh grade. So I was still pretty awkward around them. Well, suddenly as a gay man who now has entered actively and gleefully into the gay leather community, suddenly I had all sorts of support. I had loving uncles. I used sex as a way to attract these older men. You know, I'd meet somebody at a party and he would strike me as being intellectually deep and wise. And then I would rope him in with my own depth and my own intellectual, you know, yearnings. And I gathered a lot of mentors that way. After I'd play with somebody, they'd say, I'd say to them, how could I have done that better? And they would gladly teach me. And I just went on and on and on. And I was in a perfect space for everything I'd ever wanted, not just sexually, but emotionally, intellectually, um, you know, learning morals, learning all sorts of wonderful things that actually served me very beautifully for the rest of my life. 
And then when they all died, it was beyond devastation. I mean, mm. I, I can't begin to tell you what it was like because I was going to two or three funerals a week. Wow. And I mean, That's... everyone that I knew, I mean, last night I was at an event last night, night before last, and I met uh, Eric and Eric and another man are the only two men from those days who did not die that were in my, my large, large social circle. We're the only survivors. I can't imagine what that would do, not just for a community, but uh, I mean, for for a movement, for everything. I just can't imagine what kind of oh, yeah. a toll that would take. Yeah. Well, we were all on a rocket ship heading for the stars together. And then all of a sudden, right. it all died. It all just collapsed. Um, uh, we scattered like rats. We, we, you know, people would leave to go to Kansas, uh, Kansas to try and get away from the plague and they'd bring it with them. And, you know, right. they'd die with their families if their families would let them in. So it was very, very difficult to have any kind of connection with other people. And it was tough. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to, you know, I could go on for many days on this topic. I mean, this is, I mean, this is just even as a matter of, you know, if, if for nothing else, for, for historical record, I mean, I'd be totally game with just having a whole episode just talking to you about that because mm -hmm. um, no it, 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 as hard as it might be for you, I totally understand. That's not something you'd want to do. But, no, no. I, um, I'm, I'm one of the few from my generation who actually do talk about it. Um, I, the reaction that I get, though, from fellow older gay leathermen is that they'll swear to me. They say, I'm never reading another article of yours for the rest of my life because I actually broke the silence. See, when I was recording my memoirs, uh, my verbal history, uh, about two years ago, I think it was, um, I did about five and a half hours of audio explaining how it was during the glory days and then how it was during the horrifying Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And there were around 70 young men in the room, and the average age was 28. And the reason why is that all these young men wanted to find out why my generation is so fucked up, because we won't talk to them. We don't know how to relate to them. One of the common phrases that I used back when I was still feeling that way is that I felt like a pterodactyl sur surrounded by furry mammals that I couldn't relate to mm -hmm. because we didn't want to give our pain to them. It was and sure. it wounded us, given us so much PTSD. We didn't want to bring their to break their hearts, so we wouldn't talk to them. And this is something common with 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 with. I mean, this is very common in the military too, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you read about mm -hmm. uh, stories of of people who, you know, someone would they'd have replacements come in, and no one would want to be friends with them because they didn't want to they didn't want to lose another friend. Yep. Um, PTSD. Uh, so, so how did that? Well, if you don't mind, before moving uh, on after that, when uh, after that, mm -hmm. back then, you know, back in the seventies, would was that what you would call – a phrase that keeps going around a lot is old guard. Right. That's something you hear a lot about. About It was a, it was a, a system of, of moving through the ranks. Now, correct, I'm sure I'm probably watching it already. But can you explain what it was like back then? I mean, when, was it like you'd show up and, and, hey, I identify as a top, I'm a dominant, and – Oh, you're a submissive, or how did that work? Or because uh, you always hear well, stories of, oh no, you'd have to start out as a submissive and work your way up. Yeah, yeah, blah blah blah. You're, you're talking <laughs> to the you've, You're talking to the guy who absolutely does not buy into the bullshit. So I'm going to explain. <laughs> See, I was there, and the people who were making a big fuss were not. 
Right. And we didn't have that. All this rigorous this and that and all that other stuff and traditions. What happened is when so many of us died, what survived was a few books that talked about how it had been in their lives. I get that. But it wasn't that way for the larger leather kinky community at all. We were having a rocking good time, and we didn't have all these rigorous pr protocols. But those protocols are, they're an artifact of rigid brains. Okay, I'll explain that. Somebody who has a 36-page protocol book for their submissive is somebody who freaks out when something new happens. Okay? Right. My crowd, we're wildly creative, constantly flipping from one lily pad of exchanged ex experiences to another and doing it well because our brains are flexible. The people who may have done all that stuff did not hang out with my crowd, and they were a tiny, tiny, tiny minority from what I understand. The problem is many people read the Old Guard comic book and thought it was the Bible. Right. And that doesn't apply. And all of my writings have to do with what I learned back then, which is to not be a hard ass all the time, to not treat the submissive like something you'd scrape off your shoe, to, to be a mensch, to be a grown-up, to be a, a good guy so that other people want to be around you because you, you're, you, know, you make them feel proud to be around you. Because the myth, the mythology behind you, at least I, that I always hear, is that these were uh, men who got out of World War II. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wanted to, okay. <laughs> hey, I well, warned well, you I was going to ask stupid questions. That's okay. I warned I you I would ask stupid questions. No, no, that's not stupid. It just, you have well, to understand, people act like this is so important because people want to be part of something larger than themselves. They want to be a part. Sure. They want to feel that they're part of the flow of history. And yeah. I, I have... I'm not kidding. In the last nine years, I've spoken to at least, no kidding, 20,000 new individuals who are new to the community. And I've welcomed them. I've reassured them that all the stereotypes do not really apply, that it's more about being sweet, really, truly sweet. I've hosted over 3,000 leather events in the last few decades, kink leather fetish events. And in that time, every event has been truly sweet, where everyone goes home Having gotten hugs, everybody feels welcome, everybody feels included. Well, it doesn't happen randomly. Somebody has to arrange it that way, and that's what my job has been. My reason for doing all this has been because we are so wounded as a community, as a tribe, that we want to attract kinky grandpa back to the banquet. We want to mm -hmm. bring people back because of kindness as opposed to, oh, shit, here it goes again, I got to go. Because... Right. People are just too timid. My generation especially. I call them timid woodland creatures. The moment that anything stressful shows up, they're gone again and you'll never see them again. And I need them to be around because I can't be the only role model. We need more mentors and role models and leaders. Well, right now, leaders, we've got plenty of here in San Diego. There are so many young leaders. It's just wonderful. And they're doing a great job. So I could go on and on. Sorry, I'm rambling again. I'm no, no, this is the, this whole, the whole point of this. I, I could listen to you talk for hours. So, so uh, yeah. So this is a perfect, perfect relationship here. Um, so, so you create you created the space and the environment that you wanted to reflect your values. Absolutely. And then I invited other people. I enrolled them into co-creating that same environment. It's not me inflicting it from above. It's me creating. Mm -hmm. 
an idea and enrolling other people in the beauty of the idea and they show up. If they don't show up, it's because the idea doesn't appeal to them. But if they do show up, they do it with all their hearts. So how, how let's talk about the, the scene in, in itself, because, you know, I, um, I've obviously gone to quite a few, mostly like, you know, hetero events. Right. And, um, and I've always, I have a friend of mine who, when I first moved to New York, um, uh, he and I, uh, really hit it off. We were really good friends and we would go to all, all these different events, uh, all over the city, uh, looking for specific, specifically looking for female dominance to play with. Right. That right. was the whole, that was the Holy grail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was, he was bisexual, uh, and and he would after about around midnight or so he go all right you know what I'm going to I'm going to the leather bar because uh, that way at least I'll get you know I'll be able to play with someone and um, and I always imagined you know the way he described it is he'd walk in and then f- within five minutes he'd be playing with someone right right uh, which was the exact opposite of you know the the more straight party events it was always basically just stand and. Uh, oh, uh, uh, as, as my wife calls it, uh, S and M stands for stand and model. Right. And, uh, and, and that's what it was like. So he had instilled this friend of mine instilled this idea in my head of you walk in within five minutes, you're playing right. and, uh, and it's a completely different environment. One of the things that I explain, see, I go to a monthly dinner called left of the slash, meaning S slash M. To the left is the sadist, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, M slash S to the left is the master. So it's a support system for dominance. Submissives are not allowed because that way the dominance can be vulnerable without having to worry about you know, having their boy or their girl, you know, think less of them. But anyway, so then one of the things I had to explain, they kept asking me, why don't gay men go to more pansexual play parties? They know we'd love them. We really would have them amongst us, and we want them to have a lot of fun. I say, the problem why we don't show up, we may show up once, but then never again, because at pansexual play parties, there are 15 layers of consent. At gay play parties, there's one. You want to play? Yes. And that's it. There's nothing else. You don't have to go through kabuki in order to finally get through to somebody. Uh, Freeform play is frowned upon here in San Diego's pansexual play parties. Everybody has to have a dance card that's all arranged the night before at a, at a, just for that purpose versus at gay men's play parties. It's all free form and it's constantly flowing. It's constantly changing. And I just don't have the patience to try and figure out, okay, who am I offending now? Like I'll give you a good example at the last one I was at the last pansexual play party. I was, didn't know anybody. And I'm standing there and I'm huge. I'm six foot five without all the gear. And so then this little tiny woman and I were talking and I very clearly identified myself as gay. I said, I, you know, I run the local gay Leatherman's group. Here are pictures of me with all these gay men. And then while I was explaining something, I touched her shoulder and she jumped back four feet and glared at me with her her arms crossed. Well, then all the women found out about this and they came up to chew me out started doing the shriek monkey thing. You shouldn't have done that. I said, she needs therapy. And oh, no, no, no. You're the problem. I said, listen, I was violently abused as a child. I've done the therapy. I've done all that work so that I'm past all that. I'm not the asshole here. And this is why gay men don't go to these things, because we don't know where the next bear trap arises. And that's just my viewpoint. 
Sure. Now, I, I think, and, and at a lot of the more heterosexual parties, um, uh, I, I mean, I've got female friends who they will go through every, you know, they will make sure that they do everything right as far as consent, making sure that everything is clear. And um, the guys they play with almost always cross the line. Mm. Or or even, and that's even submissive men, right? right? I mean, submissive men, I know guys, I've seen this, submissive guys will just, you know, a woman will be sitting at a bar, having a drink, sitting on a stool, and a guy will just come up and just start trying to suck her toes right, right. then and there, right? right? Um, and, and so there's a natural, by the way, I've got friends who are in the, like the lesbian, uh, kink scene who said, who basically describe it similar the way you describe it, that, uh, they're very comfortable around each other, but there's something about, uh, heterosexual men. I don't know what it is or that just ruin it for everyone. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, and so, um, you know, the natural reaction to that is either a, if, you know, if you're, if you're a woman going to one of these parties, the natural reaction is either a, you just stop going to them or B, you have to make it because heterosexual guys in these kink scenes are, I mean, are stupid right Mm -hmm. now. I didn't cross the line, uh, when I first went into scenes, probably because I was just too scared shitless. Mm -hmm. Right. I was just too, uh, you know, I was too afraid of rejection. I think that's what I'm sure I had it in me if I didn't have that to be a total asshole, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because this happens all the, I mean, if my wife and I go to an event, you know, she's a dominant woman and she, I mean, will you, you name it, people will come up and just say just the most bizarre things to her. Right. And it's just very, very weird. Right. Right. Um, well, if I may, so yeah, just a moment, I'm going to play devil's advocate. The reason why sure. is because I am somebody who mentors. Actively, I probably put 30 hours a week, no kidding, into mentoring. I describe myself as um, an elder. What that means to me is that I am someone who has come to completion in how I know myself and understand myself. And I've learned a lot actively for my entire adult life. And now I gladly share what I know because it is the right thing to do in my mind. And that's called uh, uh, generativity. That's the word for the day. Generativity is an interest in making sure the ne- next generation succeeds. I've got lots. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm fighting an uphill battle because there's so much porn and it is a terrible role model. Specifically, it does not teach anything about preparation, seduction, interpersonal skills, allowing everybody to win. Uh, during care, before care, after care, it doesn't teach the intricacies of the mating dance. It really doesn't. And so then let's talk about that hideous travesty of a book, Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. It's mommy porn by somebody who really doesn't know the scene. Fine. But it also is the fastest selling book in the his paperback book in the history of the world. And that's what's devastating a lot of the kinky, you know, in my opinion, the, the pansexual groups. Because there's so many eager newbies showing up with their tails wagging. Now, again, playing devil's advocate, nobody wants to be known as a bad lay or a bad person or a bad lover or whatever. Nobody. The problem is there aren't enough role models to go around. Hmm. We're monkeys. We're troop apes. We learn by observation. 
Well, we can't learn by observation. Everything's closed off except lots and lots of porn. Well, if you try and do what they do in porn, let's say, you know, fuck somebody in the ass and you've never done it before. Ow, get the hell away from me, you asshole. They don't want to do that. And they think, but I I just did what I see every day. And that's the problem. They don't have instructional videos that show that poor skinny little twink practicing you know, for hours with dildos of larger and larger sizes until he can finally take that monster up his ass. And right. so then the reason why I post all the stuff that I put on my website, uh, if somebody's interested, just go to tribal vibe, one word, tribal vibe with Papa Tony. It's all there. Acres and acres of information that I learned back in the seventies that nobody talks about anymore. It doesn't exist on the internet anywhere else. Really. I'm teaching what is called soft skills. Hard skills, you can get those in any YouTube video. Yes, you do this and then you do that. Very logical. Soft skills right. have to do with all the other stuff that have to do with life wisdom, uh, experience, you know, made plain and laid out very clearly for people, but also coping mechanisms for when things go wrong. How do you deal with it when things go sideways? You know, it speaks for your character. Here's how you can do it gracefully. That sort of stuff is not covered anywhere else that I'm aware of. And this is the sort of stuff I learned from all my mentors back in the seventies. So let's, we're on the subject of porn. So by the way, we're going to have a link to everything that you're talking about on this episode. So people will be able to just click right there and, and, and see it. Um, and, um, uh, so the, 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 I'll tell you the biggest, uh, my biggest problem, and not just mine, but a common problem with, uh, female domination porn is um, is that the male submissive is always a worm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always treated less than, right. uh, and so the the male submissive who watches this assumes that that's how he has to act. Right. Um, from uh, also uh, on the flip side of that, um, uh, a lot of new female dominants. That's again, that's their only role model, so they believe that that's how they have to act because you know. Again, that's the only thing they're they're getting. Uh, furthermore, any any female dominant who doesn't act that way, I know some really great female dominants who, because they don't act like, you know, Ilsa from the SS, because they don't act like that, that some of their prospective partners think, well, she's not dominant enough, or she's right. not because she's not acting like right. she's you know, not fitting like into the box. caricature, right? Right, and, and so this is a very box. common. Yeah, and and now that's the problem that is very common that people always talk about with female dominant mm-hmm. porn, uh, male submissive porn. Now, um, what are the what are the what are the big problems that you see with with gay porn, BDSM porn? Uh, very much the same in that um, you're not a real top unless you've got a three thousand dollar leather outfit. You're not a real sir unless you've been a submissive first. Um, you don't um, qualify unless you've gone to 12 years of kinkology college. And I constantly reassure people that, no, none of this is true. You can be you. See, the people that I mentor far and away are the sensitive ones, the perceptive ones, the Myers-Briggs, ENFP, INFP, INFJ, INFP. All of those take up less than about 4% of the adult population. But to me, they make by far the finest, highest quality doms, but every single snake in one of them is completely insecure. They're going through imposter syndrome like crazy because 
the idea of being an asshole's top repels them because it's not kind. Right. There's no golden rule in it, really. And they don't want to be that, but they still have these inclinations and they're just full of torment because they think, is there something wrong with me? Because I'm not that guy versus I'm, I'm really successful. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on, but bottom line is I have last night I was with my two slaves and my husband. My husband is entirely vanilla. We're coming up on 28 years. He adores the slaves. They adore him. We just came back from Palm Springs on a trip together. They both have husbands who are not kinky. And their husbands are cool with it. We don't hide anything. There's no subterfuge. It's just that I fulfill the needs for the slaves that the husbands cannot and will not. But so then uh, Larry's been in my life for three and a half years and Bob for seven and a half years. They're both 60 years old. And I can make either one of them, anytime I choose, go from flaccid to full body orgasm in under 60 seconds using nothing but my voice. And this is all just be from your, your, you know them so yeah. well, and you've, you've trained them in such Using, a way. And it's taken, yeah. but obviously that doesn't happen overnight. No, obviously. it takes investment, which I teach. It takes long-term, de deep desire to understand them, to lift off the top of their skull on a hinge, find the big red, you know, pleasure center button and jam the thumb down on it. But it, it takes time to do that. It's not something you can do with somebody the first time. But I teach people how to be patient, how to invest, how to connect on every level, not just, you know, bumping nasties and, you know, throwing a few toys at each other. There's so much more. See, what I'm reacting against is the drug culture. I consider drugs to be in sexual circumstances, in play circumstances, to be a crutch. They're trying to get to ecstasy. But if you are patient and you invest in people long term, Ecstasy happens without the drugs. So what, what would you say are the most common, oh, you talked about a few of them, but some of the most common misconceptions people come in to the scene that they're assuming is going to happen uh, that because they've watched porn, you know, I know you, you mentioned about like the suit of what the expectations are, um, but are, are there other assumptions that are made by people like right. how a submissive should act or how a dominant should act uh are there other porn misconceptions that that uh, are perpetuated One that way thing that may not directly answer your question but it's what i'm called to talk about is that people want quick results they want to get it now they want to find that that sir and then get started immediately i assert instead that it takes a village it takes investment in a community in order to have really good successes. Because if you just show up and say, I need, nobody's going to listen because everybody needs when they first show up. I need, I need, I need. It becomes background noise. But if you start investing in the local community, if you show up and say, rather than just gimme, 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 you say, how can I help? Doors will open to you that no one else can see. Everybody will start investing in you and they'll say, you know, there's somebody here I think you'd really get along with. Or in extreme cases, it doesn't happen here very much, but maybe in other cities where we can warn each other off and say, I don't think you really want to talk to him. He's bad medicine. See, that's what a community does for each other. But they also, mm. there's, okay, a, new, a guy who is recently single, he's a top. Well, all the boys in town are flying at him butt first. They're dropping soap and dropping handkerchiefs all over the place trying to get on his good list. Well, 
he's going to work his way through them and, you know, keep kissing a few frogs until he finds his prince. But that doesn't happen if you're on your own. You know, just picking up flakes on Grinder or something, it's not going to be satisfying because you're going to have to deal with a lot of disappointment because people are just going to use you as jack-off fantasy and never actually meet up with you. They like flirting with the handsome sir, but they would never dream of meeting. It's a horrible environment versus in person. When you're a part of an affinity group, when you join up with the local community, it's based on credibility because... You know, we have to operate in the light, those of us who belong to affinity groups. And people who like to hide out in the dark, they stay the hell away from us because we're the first ones to say, stay away from them. You know, arrest that man, officer, that sort of thing. So it's credibility-based, and you're a lot more likely to have long-term, I assert, really high-quality relationships if you actually, you know, get connected with the larger tribe. So that's that's the one thing. Go ahead. There's there's also something that is, and maybe because it's difficult to to include in porn, but uh, DS, mm-hmm. right. you, you see a lot of the play right. aspect, of course, right? But DS itself is, I don't know, maybe it's just because it's, I mean, it's what, not what sells, mm-hmm. right? You know, no one's gonna, right. no one's gonna sell. Oh, here's a, here's a porn website dedicated to someone ranking breakfast for yep. their top, you know, every washing morning, his feet, or, you know, making sure that the, the the between his toes stays clean so he doesn't get athlete's foot. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not right. jack off right. stuff. And you know, that's what they're aiming right. at. But, you know, there's so much more that it has to do with relatedness and investment. And they just don't know that. And I have to keep teaching them. And I'm glad to do it. And that's why I've been posting the stuff online so that at least more people get a taste of what is possible. That it has to do with extreme intimacy. You know, I, I'll repeat that. A kink, leather, and fetish done properly is just extreme intimacy. That's all it is. When people invest in each other and they get to know each other and they know where each other's buttons are and there's a power flow and it gets more and more beautiful and more and more amped up and more and more exciting, well, who the hell wouldn't want that? And it doesn't have to be a honeymoon thing. I still get just as joyful with uh, Bob after seven and a half years as I did when we first got together, that it's not just about how soon can I you know, trade up to a better submissive. You know, that's that's what the larger community keeps encouraging. And I'm the Marian kind. It's just my nature. So I heard something recently and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that in the kink scene, because there's a there's a constant trope uh, on the uh, female dominant male submissive uh uh, you know, communities that the number of male submissives out, no, outnumber female dominance by like 10 <laughs> right. to one. Right. Right. Um, is, is there, a, and I've heard recently that the number of, uh, it's, it's similar in the gay right. leather scene that there are like 500 bottoms for every I dominant. I would say 500, but is it, well, okay. <laughs> all right. But is it, is, is, is there a ratio like that well, too? Or? Back about 25 years ago, and I have not been able to find the reference lately, but I wish I could. Somebody did a statistical study and they found that a submissive male who wanted to be colored and part of the life of a high quality sir has less than a 4% chance of having that happen. Nah. And when I tell that to bottoms, they're very unhappy to hear that. When I tell it, and sure. one of the things that I commonly say to my, Uh, proteges, my mentees, is I say, there's a lot of bottoms, and I'll draw a large area with my hands, and I'll say, and I'll make a smaller circle and say, there's fewer tops. 
And I'll say there's even fewer kinky leather tops. And then I draw an even smaller circle. And then there's a really small, small circle, which is kinky leather tops who know what the hell they're doing. That's why you're in my life. I want you to get to that point, too. What I promise them, as I say, our relationship is currently asymmetrical. Clearly, I've got 42 years of experience that you do not. But my job is to get you up to my level as soon as possible. And that's why I write the articles that I do and post the videos and the audios so that more and more people get a piece of what it's like to not be an asshole and to be a sir or a dom. To where they get to see that it's possible to be a sub where you don't have to be, you know, sleeping, uh, you know, on rags in the basement, you know, and chained to the pipe or something. You know, there's a market for that. God bless them. You know, go for it. That's what they're looking for. But that's not my crowd. My crowd is a lot more. We're a lot more affectionate and not afraid to show it. I mean, we cry and we're not afraid to do it. That's the sort of tribe I run with. And uh, one of the things that I explain, I mean, this is a good line. I've got to share this with you. I was teaching a young mentor. He was 45. You know, for me, that's young. But so then uh, we were online doing a mentoring uh, online discussion. And I shared something very vulnerable with the guys. And he called me on the phone like a minute later. He says, what the hell to share that for? You know, that doesn't make you look very good. And I said, I want you to understand mentoring is not where you put in a quarter and turn the knob and you get a, 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 a wisdom pellet. You have to not only be a mentor, you have to be a role model. If you're just standing there with your arms crossed and bellowing out wisdom at them, they're not going to absorb it because they don't know you and they don't trust you. You have to be the full range of experience in order for them to really listen and to trust that what comes out of your mouth is authentic. And he thought about that. And about four hours later, he, he posted a really vulnerable thing about himself and got a ton of positive reinforcement. And see, that's the thing is we have to be the full range of experience, whether we are a dom or a sub. We have to be able to let the pendulum swing from giggling, you know, like silly little kids in the middle of a scene and tickling and then going to hardcore and then back again and cuddling and taking really good care of each other afterwards. I mean, the full range of experience is what is called for, not just what they show in porn. See, I assert that none of us is a single note. I assert that all of us are a symphony. And in order to express that, we have to feel that we can be safe in expressing it. And creating spaces where people can be fully self-expressed is my thing. And I teach others. I recently wrote an article, uh, it's a chapter of my book, talking about giving permission as a guiding philosophy. And that's what I do as a top, as a dom, as a husband, as a sir, as a computer consultant, as a neighborhood watch block captain. You know, all these different things that I do, they work the same, whether you're with a submissive or whether you're with a large crowd of people that are looking for positive leadership. What what do you think is the defining, like, I think I know what the answer is, but uh, for you, it sounds like something that goes through every line of everything you mm-hmm. do. It's, it's, I don't know if the word is honor or it's honesty or it's, but there, it, it seems like you come at, you, you come at everything in a way that is, um, it comes from a place of sincerity. I think that's maybe the word. Um, but see, right. Okay. This, this ties in back. Oh, back about two years ago, there was a study of studies where, There were over 1,200 studies on what makes relationships of any kind last. 
And this one study collated all the information, and they came up with the conclusion that there are two things that make for long-term relationships that do not fail, kindness and generosity. And that works just as well in the kink community as anywhere else, despite what porn says. That I'm, I love to enroll people. I don't bark orders at them. I was at the uh, Left of the Slash dinner about four months ago. And at the introductory question, whether you give your name and then you answer the, the, the standard question to help introduce yourself to everybody, the topic was, how do you deal with discipline? And a lot of people there are very much into discipline. God bless them. That's their thing, and I hope they find everything that they're looking for. But when it came to me, I said, I have never used discipline. I don't have to. I can't teach this to other people. I can perceive when things need to change because they're not working. And then I apply the gentlest little touch and everything pivots from that point onward. I, I imagine me pointing my finger, in the, licking my finger and then pointing it in the air ahead of me, putting out a fire before it gets bigger. That takes grace, that takes balance, that takes self-awareness. But more than that, it needs perception. And perception is highly underrated in the kink community. The ability to tell when things are not working and what to do about it and then shift it. And that's my gig. That's what I do. I'm, I know other people can't do that. And that's not because they're stupid or wrong or broken or inappropriate. It's merely because they don't quite have the same antennas that I do. Also, oh, it's something that you've honed over the yes, course of time. Yes, and I teach others to do the same. It, uh, you, you mostly mentor uh, tops? I, I, me- I mentor you, you almost mentor- exclusively tops, doms, you know, masters. When it's, when a submissive comes up to you and asks for advice or something, do you, are, are there good submissive uh, role models out there that you can point them to? Or well, usually, if it's very important that I feel that it's that that's what they need, I'll introduce them to my slaves. The reason why is because they're both very kind and they're both very articulate and rather clever, frankly, and they're good at reassuring. But the same advice works for everybody. That's why when I'm doing these, let's say I'm doing a semester of classes, then um, I never turn away bottoms that want to be a part of it because they want to learn how to be able to help their sir get to the way that they need to be. Because, you know, it takes polishing. It takes learning. I'm learning constantly. You know, every submissive is different, and I have to adapt, and they have to adapt. And then, see, the, the metaphor that I use, outside of my bedroom window, there's a wisteria plant that's a vine. And so then every once in a while, two tendrils will wrap around each other. They'll grow this way and they'll grow that way, but they never grow apart. That's the metaphor that I use about relationships is that you adapt by staying true to your feelings. You don't hide anything. You don't repress anything. You don't lay any expectations on anything. And then you just keep growing and adapting together. And it's beautiful. What has been the effect of of apps like Grindr? Has it been a net positive, a net negative Okay, you're talking to a very strong opinion here, okay? That's I, right. That's why, I, that's why I asked you. I don't spend a minute uh, online that I, can, that I can help, that I can avoid. Here's why. I like bandwidth. If someone sends me a message on Facebook during the brief time I'm on there, and all I get is a sup or a, pic, or a video of them jacking off, I have no interest in engaging. The reason why is because if I'm sitting across from somebody at a table, let's say a local coffee shop, and we're holding hands, even though we just recently met, and we're talking to each other, we're we're bringing in bandwidth. We're bringing in body language, 
uh, muscle tension, um, breathing patterns, pupil dilation and you know, contraction, where our bullshit detectors are at full crank and we can tell what we're getting. Okay, I'm, I'm very consciously transparent as water in circumstances like that so that they can read me fully. I cannot get that from texting with somebody. I can't do that on a narrow band width. And that's why, see, like the biggest problem that I have with something like, say, grinder, is the flake factor. I have a very strong opinion. The number one thing that I look for but in a playmate, in a submissive, in any kind of relationship, is they have to have already made adult decisions about how they want to be. Specifically, if they show up an hour and a half late or not at all, they don't get to ride on the Tony train ever. Right. The reason why is because I have to have grown-ups around me. If someone is still stuck, and this is a real problem. See, this is an old man talking about a particular viewpoint, and I don't want to offend anybody. But people in their early 20s are severely socially retarded because they spend so much time looking at the screens, the signals go past them when people are talking to them. They don't understand the circumstances that are happening because they've never developed the antennas. And it's a real problem because by the time they're 30, their brains are locked in. And I'll give you a good example. I was mentoring a wonderful 27-year-old man. And we were, uh, this was Halloween. So he and my husband and I were out frolicking you know, at the local gay uh, outdoor Halloween festival and we're just having a great time. He comes up to me. The young man says, What's wrong with those guys over there? I said, what do you mean? He says, they're acting weird. And I said, tell me what they're doing. He told me, I said, they are hoping to have sexual intercourse with you. They're flirting. <laughs> oh, and then I didn't see him for the rest of the evening. See, <laughs> that is a real problem is that the signals are complex. I remember when I first went to a leather bar, I didn't understand the stuff people were talking about because they had a different lingo. They did have different social soda protocols. And I didn't know any of it, and I felt like a fish out of water. And it takes time to understand the local culture, what the protocols are, what the expectations are, and the social niceties. And so that's why, like, okay, yesterday I was at, a, at an event with my family, my leather family, and there was this man of my generation there, and I could tell he was shy. He was putting on a good show. You know, he had all the attractiveness stuff going on. But I could tell he was nervous. Uh, his uh, boyfriend of uh, 17 years uh, had just broken, they had just broken up, but he didn't know how to fit in because he'd been away from the scene. The, the two of them had broken up because unfortunately his uh, boyfriend was getting heavy into uh, crystal meth. And I mm. said, turn around and run because there's no upside to that ever. Right. That's, that's his work to do, not yours. But anyway, so then I spent probably an hour helping him to understand what the local culture was. I also emailed him the, the links to my different sites and also gave him my personal information. I said, if you just want to talk, I'm here to make sure that you meet friends that will be dependable. The sort of guys that if, if you fell backwards, they would gladly catch you. And they're expecting that of you too. That's what it is in a tribe. See, my definition of a tribe in the kink, leather, and fetish community is everyone has a place. Having an A-list is toxic, where there's the worthy ones over there and everyone else is sort of wasting their time. I don't see the point of that because I have found that if I see the majesty in everyone, if I encourage them to be the best they can be, 
they'll stand up taller, puff their chest out more and wag their tails like crazy because they want to be the best they can be. And if I'm missing something from my personal toolbox, they may have that tool in theirs and vice versa. So everyone has a place, everyone has a purpose, and everybody has a contribution and got and gets thanked for it. It's also if you if you have a, a situation where if someone make does something because everyone's everyone's going to do something stupid, uh, you know, especially when they're starting of out. Of course. Right? And if you if you have a a community that instead of um, uh, you know immediately ostracizing the person, but explains to them, uh, you know, why that was stupid and and that they, you know, they can learn from this, you end up getting more, more people who are, I mean, I, 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 I did so many stupid things when I was first you know, exploring the scene, just from any, anything from, uh, you know, approaching someone uh, the wrong way or, uh, you know, uh, or you name it. Um, like I, like I would go to events, I would go to kink events, like, uh, you know, lectures or whatever. I would look around. If I didn't see what I perceived to be a dominant woman, I would leave right away. Right. 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 Because I was like that, you know, because that's, right. that's what I was there for. Mm. And, uh, and if I could, if someone had just come to me and said, look, I know you're desperate to look for this, but if you would just make friends with people who are fellow submissives mm -hmm. or dominant men, if you make friends with people, eventually you'll find the good people and you'll meet, you know, and, and it'll just kind of go from there. If nothing else, you'll have friends. Right. Um, but, but, you know, I, I had to kind of learn that on my own. If someone had just said that to me, or, or if, if, if there was a community that could actually just explain that, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, that being part of the community is a reward itself mm -hmm. that, um, uh, you know, things would be very different for a lot of people, I imagine. Well, the word that I would, that I'm allergic to, is stupid because you were describing ignorant rather than stupid. And that's okay. sure, right. ignorance can be cured. And again, just a few kind words from somebody can make all the difference. I'll give an example from about 30 years ago. Uh, I was at a leather bar in San Diego and a young man, just bright eyed and bushy tailed, wearing a brand new leather shirt and some jeans and white tennis shoes. Well, I heard about this later at the local rather angry gay leathermen's group, and you know, it's long gone. But the, uh, the people who were there were making fun of the young man afterwards, saying, oh, could you believe how stupid he was? I said, well, actually, I spoke to him. I said, I went up to him, and I complimented him on his you know, new shirt. And I said, by the way, just across the street, about a block and a half, let me take you out the front door, and I'll point to it, is Bargain Center, and they will gladly sell you some really cool uh, boots that would look great with that shirt, and they'll do it cheap, and they're honest people. They said, oh, that makes, that's wonderful, and he did. But see, the approach is, you know, whether it's a loaded environment or not. If people are waiting for you to fuck up, then yeah, mm -hmm. you're going to set off a lot of, you know, proximity warnings and crap like that. It's not coming from kindness. It's coming from, frankly, a lot of bloated self-importance when people say, oh, you didn't approach me properly. I mean, fuck that, you know, come on, be right. a human being first, and then I'll find reasons why we can both respect each other. But in the meantime, I don't want to step on your landmines. I don't want to defuse a bomb just to be in your presence. That's just my opinion. I can get away with that because I'm huge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Six five. Yeah, that can that definitely. Yeah. Uh, but only when standing um, fully erect. Yes. <laughs> when, when you are. Uh, you're, you're, based on your, looking at your website, you teach not just 
the the emotional, the psychological skills. Do you also teach like the physical skills, or you teach the? Uh, you, you you kind of t- mentor people on just the wide array of of skills that it takes to be you know a good person in the leather scene. Yep. Um, you want to kind of go over some of the, the different areas that you that you teach people? Well, depends on the individual. Most times, um, it's not like I know everything. I mean, you could pick any topic in the kink, leather, and fetish community, and there are people who know a hundred times more than I do. I don't pretend to be the, the end all of everything. What I do know, though, is that I know how to get more high quality folks out in the world flying on huge wings of power and beauty. They just never knew that they had those wings, much less how powerful they were. The number one thing that I'm teaching is confidence. I'm reassuring them. You're not fucking up. You're doing fine. You're good this way. You don't have to be any other way. Be this way, and people will find you and love you. The things that I teach them, I'm, I'm obviously, you look at my site, and I'm all about the flogging. I'm big on flogging. I started mm-hmm. flogging 42 years ago, and you know, there's not a lot of mystery in it for me. I can teach any level of advanced flogging. But the whole purpose of flogging is not to beat somebody into submission. It's to get them so ecstatic from uh, endorphins and from having their fantasies satisfied, even if they didn't know they were fantasies before. That, to me, is the thing. I want them to be exalted. I want them to thank me for it 30 years later. That's always my goal. And I teach others to have that same goal because when you have a guiding principle, you know, such as that, then what happens is it, it, it creates new opportunities. It creates new openings for, you know, the people didn't even know were there. The metaphor that I teach, is, it has to do with an old story about a 12 foot fence. So two guys somewhere in England, I think it was in, in the original story. They're walking along a pathway, you know, in the forest, and suddenly they see this huge barricade, a 12-foot fence. And one of them says, boy, I really would love to see what's on the other side of that. And the other one snatches the hat off of that first guy's head and throws it over the fence and says, go find out. Well, that's the sort of thing that I love to teach, is that throw your ass off the cliff. You don't know if you're going to be flying with the eagles or landing on broken glass, but the only way you're going to know is if you take the damn chance. And, right. and one of the reassurances I give to newbies that show up for our events, like the man last night, I said, it's normal to be shy. It's normal. It's perfectly okay. You're gathering information. When you've gathered enough information, you're going to act. But my promise is, and I guarantee this, that if you take a chance, you're only going to get applauded for it. We're not waiting for you to fuck up. We're not going to peck at you. We're going to treat you like a nice guy from the very beginning. And everyone who I introduce you to will only bring value to your life. Now, see, what I just did is I put my ass on the line by committing, by saying, this is how it'll be. This is not how most people talk. They do what I call weasel words. Well, if I'm not too tired or, you know, if I get around to it or maybe later, you know, when I'm in the mood, that's all weasel words. There's no commitment. in it. I put my ass on the line and I say, this is how it'll be. And everyone helps me co-create that, that new reality. It's wonderful. One thing that uh, uh, I would like to talk about before we wrap up, and I'd love to have you back on again, by the way, mm-hmm, sure. um, is, and we talked about it briefly, but um, when creating a community that, that you want to reflect your values yep. uh, and, and finding other people, I, I think one thing it's really 
really hard for people is, uh, you know, because there are so many different events out there now, mm-hmm. um, and, and some of them are, you can tell, are just there, you know, they're not there for a community. They're there to, uh, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. sell a bar tab or right. whatever. Um, um, when you're creating a community, how, how, what is the, is it just, you, you just make sure you just surround yourself with the right people and everything else will flow from there? Or how do you make sure that it doesn't go off the rails or what, you know, what is this, the secret to doing that? Because there are a lot of people I know who, who've tried doing this, who've right. tried making uh, you know, a community like this and, and then whether it's a party, an event or you name it. Right. Um, well, you've got to have a bigger dream. See, it's not enough to say, I want to create a new club because the moment you've created that new club, the dream is dead. You need to have a bigger dream, no small dreams. In my particular case, I wanted to revolutionize how affinity groups work in the new age because I've tried traditional type affinity groups and they fail constantly. We don't have printed newsletters that, you know, people stamp and, you know, put labels on and send out in the mail. Now we have the age of distraction. We've got spam flying at us. We've got Facebook Mm. yelling at us. We've got ads showing up we didn't ask for. So we're constantly being distracted. The age of distraction, we have to do what it cannot do and never will, which is to provide social graces and context where you can show up and people hug you because they already like you. Or they're open to liking you. We have to create that space. That is a larger dream. That doesn't go away because we still need it. There's a starvation for being able to just show up and have people say, oh boy, he's here or she's here. And so then when we create that, what happens is you have to create it, in my opinion, this is just my bias, you have to create it as a separate entity outside of the existing power structure. Because people who are already settled in as the powers that be are resistant to new ideas. They're going to challenge it. They're going to try and break it down because they want to be the ones who win the competition. It's just part of human nature. So what I do is... The iron law of institutions, as they call it. Oh, yeah. Well, what I do instead is I just enroll the nicest people that I know. And then it just kind of grows from there. That when people know that there's going to be a lot of hugging, they can vote with their feet. Do I really want to be a part of this or no, I don't? Well, they can choose. But what happens, there's a hell of a lot more people that really want to just be childlike. They want to be in an environment that's like puppies in a pile. They want to be in an environment that's like naked three-year-olds playing in a mud puddle together, where there's no attitude, no, no worries. You can just play. For instance, one of the things you may have seen on my site is that I invented an entirely new way of a kink. Totally. I created the flog swarm. Yeah, I saw that. I, was, I saw that on there. Yeah. You wanted to explain that? Yeah. Well, it's highly repulsive to people who have very rigid brains. They don't like it because it requires constant flexibility and willingness to play. You got to be playful. You got to be joyful. You got to be light, lighthearted and frisky. You got to be childlike in order to have coordinated kinky play among, let's say, 70 people over two and a half hours where we just make it up as we go along and everybody creates new dreams and everybody else co-creates them as soon as it becomes plain what's happening. One person says, I need two people to be mummified. Two people eagerly come up, and we, we uh, wrap saran wrap and duct tape around them, and then I put a blindfold on them, and I say, now fall back, because they're standing straight up with their arms by their side. And they fall back. Of course, right. we catch them lovingly. And then 70 people will pass them in two lines, hand over hand, over to the stage, where we gently lay their heads on pillows in front of two four-foot Kodo drums, 
and then everybody else grabs hand drums and tambourines and stuff, and we send vibrations to them all for a while, you know, drumming and, and making noises until I grab my shaman rattle and go, and say, okay, not time for the next thing. So the way that the the way it works is we'll have something like that that somebody makes up on the spot, and then we're just playing with it. We're adding to it with our own skills and our own abilities. Well, the main thing that we circle around over and over again is what is called the flog swarm. The reason why it's called a swarm is because human beings think that we're very logical creatures. We're, you know, very rigid in our thinking and all that. That's what our culture encourages. But when you're not paying attention, we actually flow together beautifully. For instance, if you take a camera, video camera, and point it down straight at uh, Times Square when it's busy, people swarm just like wildebeest, just like fish, just like bats, where we're, we're giving each other space and we're still getting our, our goals accomplished, where we're not conscious about it. Well, that's what a flog swarm is right. about, where we flow together when we're open to it and we do it consciously to let go of the consciousness and just have some fun. Well, this is all alien talk to people who really don't get it, but that's okay. Those of us who do really get it well. But so then the idea of this is that you take three people. Let's say I'm going to flog you and our dearest friend, let's say your wife, you know, she's there and she's going to hold you while I flog you. And so that's three people, the flogger, the floggy, and the support person. Then you multiply that by eight in a circle, okay? So that there's 24 people. All the support people are on the innermost circle facing outward. All of the uh, uh, floggees are on the next circle out, and they're facing inward. All the, the inner circle is really jammed together tight for a very good reason. And all the flogging tops are on the outside, you know, facing in. So then somebody who feels called to do it, some man or woman who's feeling pretty powerful and, you know, aggressively tough and ready to just show everybody what kind of leadership they can do. They'll grab a big five-foot wooden staff and get up into the front of the stage in front of all the drummers. And so they'll, they'll lift up the staff horizontally in front of them and then start pumping it up and down in front of them and the drummers take up the beat and all the flogging tops start flogging with that beat. Well, all the people on the inside circle are getting every single bit of all that energy thrown into them too because they're so tightly packed. Well, so then... Mm-hmm. The person at the front of the stage will will bring the staff down more lower and slower, and you know they'll guide the rhythm, and then bring it back up fast and hard, and then finally when it's all done, when everybody's had a good session, then they'll take it in both hands and slam one end of the staff onto the floor. We're done, and then we do the next thing. It may be oh I don't know, uh, decorating each other with cheap Chinese uh, light up in the dark stuff. And doing a tribal dance around a bunch of uh, fiber optic uh, floggers that are flashing like flames in the middle of the floor, you know, doing a tribal yeah. dance. Or uh, somebody, somebody else will say, okay, everybody grab a flogger, tops and bottoms. And so form a circle. So we'll form a circle and the drummers will start and they'll start and everybody flogs the person next to them all in a big circle. And then he'll say, three, two, one, switch. We'll pivot around and flog in the other direction. So we're all in the same experience all enjoying each other. Doesn't matter how good or bad you are. We're just in this experience together and playing. So I could go on for hours about this. That sounds absolutely, that sounds, that sounds really great. I mean, I got one more I got to tell you about because I know we're for, yeah, absolutely. But probably the most meaningful one is that, uh, we had 10 women that were at one of these flog swarms and I went up to him and I said, I need you to do 
community service. Okay. And I explained to him what I needed. I said, I need you to take your shirts off. Okay. And so then I went to the drummers and I told them what I wanted from them. And then I lifted up my hand and said, everybody, because we're on a break. I said, everybody, raise your hand if you are a gold star gay, where you've never, ever played with a woman. A bunch of men raised their hand. I said, form a semicircle. Everybody else behind them. And so then I, I signaled to the drummers. They started up a boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, boom type rhythm. And the women came out and did the dance of the boobies for their gay brothers. And they were all puzzled. I could see all the gay men had question marks over their heads. What the hell is going on here? But the women did it with all their hearts. They danced. They laughed. The pictures are extraordinary. You could tell they were having the time of their life. Well, then, so then when they came to a stop, I said, I need to explain what this is about. I said, my wonderful pansexual friends constantly ask me, why don't we see more of our gay brothers? We miss them. We want to be part of their lives. We want to be allies. We want to be sisters and brothers. But we never see them. I said, on the other hand, I'll talk to gay men about the upcoming play party, and they'll say, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. There'll be, there'll be titties there. I said, this is what they look like. Get over it. <laughs> they laughed and laughed. And I said, now, sisters, tell your brothers how much you miss them. And they did with all their hearts. It was the most heartrendingly beautiful thing you ever saw. And then when they finally stopped, I put my hands apart, and I drew, drew it together and said, now, everybody hug. And they went together, and everybody's feeling each other's chest going, ee! and they just loved it. And you look at the pictures afterwards, after this particular flog swarm, and people are all exalted. They're all having a peak life experience, and there are no more barriers between them. And they've all become good friends. And that's the point, is to break the ice and to bring people together in kindness, where you know that it's not toxic, that when you reach out there, you're not going to pull back a bloody stump. That's really great. And, and, and I, I, listen, I, like I said, we could, I could talk to you for hours and hours about this and I hope you're, you're willing to come oh, back yeah, again. Yeah. Um, there's, an, uh, I'll have uh, the links to all of your stuff on the website and there's so much knowledge on here. It's really, really amazing. Uh, you know, everything from, uh, how to do public scenes to anal play for first timers, uh, flogging for beginners, you name it. There's so much there and, um, you know, beginning protocols, uh, I really encourage people to check it out, whether you, no matter which side of the uh, flogger you're on, I guess uh, uh, there's so much uh, info there. And, and we'll have all your contact info as well there. But I, I really thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was, was a lot of fun. And uh, and I learned a lot. And I hope a lot of people are listening. I'm sure they did too. So Thank you. Um, thank you very much. And where can people find you outside of your website? Are you on any social media as well that you want me to have, well, I can have links if, on as well? I tend to post things periodically on Facebook at um, fetish space men space San space Diego. That's the best way. Uh, just look for Anthony Lindsay. That's my actual name. That's not my scene name. My scene name, actually, my my birth my birth name is Anthony Jerome Lindsay. My um, uh, scene name is Papa Tony. Uh, my um, animal name is Dancing Dragon, and my uh, drag name is Masculina. <laughs> i can't thank you enough for doing this this was so much fun and uh, and i really hope you're you're willing to come oh, back uh, down the road all right brother take care